I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Okay, good morning, everybody, in Chodesh Tov. It is a new month, and it's a very special month, of course, because it's Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the month of miracles from the word Nais. It's the month when the Jewish people left Mitzrayim, the month when the Jewish people were freed from Egypt. And um, this class is sponsored by Judy Dierenfeld in memory of her dear mother, Miriam Balabas Mayer, whose yurt site was last week and whose favorite holiday was the holiday of Pesach. And she passed that on to her daughter. Um, may her neshama have an aliyah. And I also want to... Um, mentioned Yitzchak ben Natan Nata, my husband's grandfather, his namesake, also his yurtzeit today, and in merit of all of those who need a refuah shalema, refkigito bas Yehudis, chashi bas ita, Yosef Shmuel ben Devorah, and many more. May they all have a refuah shalema. So as we were saying, just a little bit about this month, Chodesh Nisan, it's Rosh Chodesh today, ladies, so do something nice for yourselves because this is a special day for women. Hashem or the rabbi said that uh, the women receive Rosh Chodesh because we did not participate in that terrible sin of the Cheta Egel, of the worshiping of the golden calf. Uh, and this is the nature of women in general. It says that that it was in the merit of the righteous Jewish women that the Jewish people were redeemed from Egypt. And the rabbis also say that also in the future, in the future redemption, it will be again in the merit of righteous women that the Jewish people will be redeemed. So ladies, we are front and center in the story of Mitzrayim. We are the enablers. We are the courageous ones. We are the ones who see to the future, even when the present looks so dismal, so terrible, so full of gloom and doom. It's the Jewish women that have always held on and, and, and believed even when things did not look good in the moment, right? I, I liken it to the fact that sometimes the clouds hide the sun. And even though we don't feel the sun and we don't see the sun, we still know that the sun is behind the clouds somewhere. And this was the Incredible strength of the women of that time. By the way, the word ima, the word aim, mother, are the first two letters of the word emuna. Not a coincidence, because again, this is what Jewish women are famous for. We all know the story of Miriam, right? When Paro made his decree to kill all the Jewish boys in Egypt, Miriam and, and Miriam's father, Amram, who was the leader of the generation at that time, said to his wife, that's it. We're not bringing any more children into this terrible world. And Miriam, his young daughter, who was a prophetess, came to him and said, Father, you're worse than Paro, because Paro has decreed against all of the boys. But you're killing not only the boys, but the girls as well, by not bringing children into the world. So we know about Shifra and Pua, who were told were Yocheved and Miriam, who uh, were the midwives 
in Egypt, when Pharaoh made his decree that no Jewish baby boy should be born, they refused to kill the babies, but delivered them. And this took a lot of tremendous courage. And of course, Bacha Bas Pharaoh, who the tradition teaches us converted to Judaism, who was the one who rescued Moshe from the Nile River and raised Moshe right under the nose of Pharaoh in the palace. So we have many, many, many examples of the greatness of women. Another interesting idea that Rabbi Akiva Tatz brings down is that, you know, men and women in terms of procreation, men, he explains, are, are always the flash. They're the flash of insight. They're perhaps the vision, which is uh, represented by the seed that the man offers. But it's the woman who takes the seed and it is gestated within her for nine months. Women are the process. Women take the vision, they take that flash of inspiration and they carry it and they bring it to its fruition. They bring it to its end. And that is the role of the Jewish women. Okay, another idea, as I was saying, is that the month of Nisan corresponds to the astrological sign of Aries. And Aries, of course, is the ram. Now, the ram in Egypt was one of their gods, much like the cows are still gods today in India, right? I've heard that if you hit a cow on the street, you get fined a tremendous amount of money. Um, and and it, it was the same in um, Egypt. The Jews, for one reason, were abhorrent to the Egyptians because we were shepherds. Um, and, and even, nevertheless, we know that the Jews were very much uh, affected by idol worship while they were in uh, Egypt as slaves. And that's why the most courageous act that they had to do before leaving Egypt was to take this god of the Egyptians, this ram, which even in terms of the constellations, was at its ascendancy of this month, and slaughter it. Right, They had to tie it to their bedpost so that the sounds of the rams were bleeding all over Egypt, such an insult to their gods. And then just before they leave Egypt, they go outside and there's all these laws about how they have to shift and how they have to eat it and roast it. And then, of course, we all know because we saw the Ten Commandments, they take the blood and they put the blood on the lentils of their door. Lentils, lentils, whatever that word is right? They put it on the outside of their door. That's what we learn. However, there are many, many um, opinions that say they didn't put it on the outside of the door. They put it on the inside of their door. We always learned, well, they put it on the outside so God would know which houses are Jewish and which houses aren't. Well, God knows which houses are Jewish and which aren't without needing the blood on the door, right? God is omniscient. He knows everything. So the idea was that the blood was on the inside of the door for them because everything they did was to strengthen themselves and to be able to leave Egypt with the knowledge that they were switching masters. They were going from believing in the idols of Egypt to believing in the one God, once again, which was their tradition from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which they had lost to some degree, which had been stifled and suppressed while in Egypt. And now they were going to be leaving and making this tremendous act of shechting the God of Egypt. Also, this month is called Chodesh Ha'aviv. It's spring, according to uh, the Jewish calendar. 
And we say one of God's kindnesses is that he took us out in the spring, that even that should not be overlooked, that we got rid of our winter coats and our winter boots, and we were able to leave Egypt in the most beautiful month of spring. And that was one of God's kindnesses to us. Interestingly, this prayer that we're going to be focusing on today, which is the last prayer of our request section, it's called Shema Koleinu, and it's kind of a free-for-all prayer. If you forgot anything, or there's extra things that you want to talk to God about, this is the prayer that we do this in. In terms of the request section, there's 13 blessings. And this is the 13th of the, of the request section. Interestingly, I, I mentioned at the beginning of, of, of our series on this class that we have 18 vertebrae, vertebrate in our body. So the three in the neck represent the first three blessings of praise. And then we have, um, yeah, 13, 16. No, then we have 12. The, the 12 in the center of your body are the request section. But remember, one of them was added, right? We had the prayer that was added. And then there's three at the bottom of your spine that represent the thank you, the gratitude section, which comes after the request. Okay, so somebody asked me the question. I mentioned that four-fifths of the Jewish people died in Egypt. And she asked, when did they die? So many of you know that they died during the Makkah, the plague of darkness that those Jews who basically could not even imagine, for example, shechting the ram, and their mentality of being enslaved to Egypt was so strong that they were, let's say, more Egyptians than the Egyptians. Those Jews died during the plague of darkness when nobody would see it, when, when the Egyptians would not see it happening, and the Jews themselves, it was done secretively. But again, it took tremendous courage to leave. And that's why one opinion is that only one-fifth of the Jews left Egypt. Okay, this bracha that we're about to speak about, Shema Kuleinu Hashem Elokeinu, Chus Verachem Aleinu, hear our voice, Hashem Elokeinu, the Lord our God, right? You, Hashem our God. And again, we're using those same two words, Hashem Elokeinu, that we use in the Shema prayer. Hashem representing the God of compassion, the God of mercy, the God who overlooks our mistakes and our sins. And Elokeinu always refers to the God of judgment, the God who is the God of justice, who rewards and punishes according to the consequences of our actions, much like a parent does with a child, a good parent. Chus v'rachem aleinu, be compassionate to us, pity us. Chus means to pity. We're going to talk more about what that word really means. V'rachem aleinu, have compassion upon us. V'kabel v'rachamim u'v'ratzon estikilasenu. And receive in compassion and with your will our prayer. Because you are the God. And that word kale always represents power. That God is the most powerful being in the universe. 
and this powerful being listens to our prayers. You are the God who listens to our prayers and to our tachanunim, to our tachanunim, to our, our plaintive pleas, our supplications, our tears, our cries. And please, our king, don't turn us away empty-handed. We come with our hands outstretched like paupers, asking and begging, which is supposed to be the posture that we come to in prayer, recognizing that we have nothing, that without you, Hashem, who is the source of all blessing in this world, we are helpless. Turn us not away empty-handed. Because you are the one who hears our tefillahs, the tefillahs of your people Israel. Again, the rachamim, with compassion. You, Hashem, are the source of all blessing. And just to remind you of that point again, when we say all of our brachas begin with Baruch Hashem. In English, they're always, recite, they're always translated, blessed are you, God. And it sounds sometimes like we're blessing God. But the idea is Baruch Atah Hashem. You Hashem are the source of all the blessing in the world that comes to us. From the smallest blessings to the biggest blessings. From being able to wake, our, wake up in the morning and open our eyes and get out of bed. To all of the extras and the perks and the excesses and the, the, the extras that we have in life. Blessed are you, Hashem, who hears prayer. And it's interesting, we're not saying in this bracha who answers our prayers, right? We're saying he hears it. Okay, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But I want to just say how apropos it is that we're doing this bracha today on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Because this bracha, as we said, every bracha, the ending part of the bracha was recited by the malachim by the angels when a certain event in Jewish history happened. So this bracha was recited by the angels when B'nai Yisrael cried out in Mitzrayim to God, and it says, and God heard their cry. Right? They cried out with a cry that was not words, that didn't come from words. It came from an even deeper place than that. It was a voice. And the reason this word voice is used over and over again in this prayer is because the, the term voice is that it came from deep within the soul. And so the angel said, Baruch Hashem Blessed are you Hashem who hears prayer because it was at that moment when the Jewish people let out this inarticulate cry that came from a place that said rescue us redeem us take us out of here we've had enough that god said at that moment that's it you're going out of egypt this is the moment yeshua hashem keheraf ayin the salvation of god happens in the blink of an eye Uh, somebody isn't muted, if, if you wouldn't mind muting yourself. Okay, I think I did it. All right. 
Um, Deborah, could you tell us please what page you're on in the uh, prayer book? You know what? I don't have the art scroll sitter in front of me. In front of them, that has the page for Shema Kalenu for Fern. Anybody? No. Do you have a sitter in front of you, Fern? I do. Mona Asray? I do. Okay, so um, keep turning and you'll get to a prayer that starts Hear our voice, Hashem our God. Okay, or, thank you. Or in Hebrew, it's Shema Kalenu, okay? All right. Okay, so, you know, this prayer is basically telling us that whether or not we get our requests answered or not, the act of prayer alone has a tremendous value. And it's very, very important. And it makes changes in the world and also changes in ourselves. The act of prayer alone is meant to elevate us. It's meant to make us into different people. And this is the prayer where we can really talk to God. The idea of the voice of prayer, which is what this tefillah says, listen to our voice, right? It doesn't say listen to our words. It doesn't say listen to our prayers. It says listen to our voice because the voice of prayer is the Jewish soul trying to come closer to God. I like to think of prayer as the three R's. I mentioned this in my um, beginner's prayer class, but I think it's good for all of us to remember that the purpose of prayer primarily is to create relationship, right? To create, create a relationship with Hashem, which is an incredibly awesome uh, thing that Hashem is asking us and letting us know that we can do by speaking to him, by talking to him, by telling us our, by telling him our worries, right? It's about relationship by recognizing who we're speaking to and how much he can help by being awed by the fact that God wants a relationship with us, that as small as we are and as, um, Helpless as we are, he craves a relationship with us because we're his children. We're his creation, much like a parent wants a relationship with their child. Somebody's not muted. Um, let me try again to mute everybody. Okay. Deborah, I'm sorry. It's Fern. I, I'm just going to ask one more time, if you don't mind. Where is this prayer relative to Modine? Okay, it's two prayers before that. Two prayers before that. Okay. Ritzay, and then there's Shema Kuleinu. Okay. In the art scroll, um, sorry, in the art scroll is page 88 for Shacharit. Thank you, page 88. Thank Let's you. Hope everybody's art scroll is the same. Okay, in terms of, the, okay. The next R is request. God wants us to ask for him. He wants to know what our needs are. As we said, God is not a mind reader much like spouses cannot read each other's minds, okay? The way that God set up the world, the spiritual laws of nature is that you have to ask. And when you ask and you receive, it's like eating at the king's table because there's a direct relationship between your asking and getting or not getting. 
But the point is, is that by asking again, you deepen the relationship. And there is the point of this tefillah in Shemona Esrei is teaching us that you can ask for anything here. There is nothing that is too trivial. You can ask for the parking spot in front of the bay. You can ask to get your Corona vaccine shot on Monday instead of on Friday this week. That's what I did and I'm going today instead of Friday, okay? <laughs> All right, you can ask for the tr most trivial things like getting a top off of a lid that's really hard to open. And God, who gadol, what does that mean, who gadol? He's big, he's so big that he cares about that. If we don't think he cares about those little details, we're making him small. That's how big he is. He cares about you're getting the top off the toothpaste, whatever it is. Just make sure you put it back on. Okay. And number three is reflect. Lahit Paleo, the point of prayer is to reflect, to think about yourself. Why am I asking for what I'm asking for? What will I do with it? Will I use it as a means to make myself into a better Evan Hashem? Or will it become an end in itself? Why do I want whatever I want? Wealth, power, um, honor, all of these different things that human beings want. So we have to ask and reflect and judge ourselves as to why we want it. This one last idea, tefillah is not an end in itself. Hashem wants us to pray. Again, prayer in itself is considered a value. Whatever we're asking for, whether we get what we want or we don't, just the act of prayer itself. And God creates situations in our own personal lives and in the lives of our great people in order to get them to pray. Three out of the four mothers of the Jewish people were barren, right? Sarah, Rivka, Rachel could not have children. And it tells us God loves and desires the prayers of tzaddikim. But it's true for every Jew. He loves and desires the prayers of the Jewish people. We're called hakol kol yaakov. Our strength is in our voice. Right? And so even though God knows he's going to give them children, and even though God knows he's going to split the Yamsuf for the Jewish people, the, the Red Sea, he puts them in situations where they will call out to him. And so too is it in our own lives. And we are in situations where we feel like, you know, we're being pressured. You know, Jewish people are compared to olives because God pressures us, right? Egypt was compared to a core barzel, a fiery furnace, a smelting iron that, that removes the impurities in order to make the gold shine, in order to make the gold come out of the dross. So too, God pushes us and pressures us. I remember when I was going through my own difficulties with my parents' sickness and then their eventual death very close together and fighting the hospitals with the MAID thing where they just wanted to kill people then and still do. I, I, I remember at the village school saying, I feel like God has his hand on my head and he's pushing me under the water like my brothers used to in the pool, you know? And I'm gasping for breath and I'm trying to get up and I'm saying to God, 
why are you doing this? Let, you know, I'm going to die. I'm going to, I can't breathe. But again, Hashem sometimes pushes us down because when you press on olives, that's when the beautiful oil comes out. So God puts us in situations because he wants us to cry out. He wants us to dig down deeper because that changes us, that changes the world, that changes our relationship with him. We have to cry out to him in good times and in bad times, in gratitude and in difficulties. In those worst times when we say, God, where are you? Or we're so angry at God, we just want to run away from him. The ironic thing is that the further and faster we run away from him, the closer and closer we get to running to him because there is no place to run except back to God. It's a process. But God wants us to create relationship and that's what this prayer is all about. So in this prayer, we, we request mercy. We use the word rachamim. Right? Compassion. We say it three times. And this is the 13th prayer in the Shemona Esrei request section. And it corresponds to the 13 midot of Hashem. Hashem, Hashem, Kel Rachim, Vechanun, Erech, Apayim, Verev, Chesed, Ve'emes. Right, we say these words on Yom Kippur over and over again because this is the phrase that God Himself taught Moshe. That God told Moshe, whenever the Jewish people need to be forgiven, whenever they need rachamim, right? This is after the sin of the golden calf, after God wants to destroy us and begin again with Moshe. And and Moshe says, "No way! If you destroy the Jewish people, I'm you can I I'm I'm also out of the story. Take me with you." And God says, "Okay." He relents and he says, "This is the secret. You say these words, these thirteen meet out of compassion, and I will forgive. I will move from my throne of judgment to my throne of mercy." So when we invoke these midot. Through this 13th prayer with these words, Rachamim, we're saying, Hashem, be favorable to our prayer and open up the treasury of gifts. That you have for us, right? We said at the very beginning of our series again, that it's like those first prayers that we say at the beginning of the Shemona Esrei are unlocking the treasury that Hashem has for each one of us. But we have to know how to open it up. We have to have the key to be able to open it. So at the beginning of the Shemona Esrei, very much so the sages tell us, if you don't say it with kavana, then you didn't open up the treasury. If you don't say it with intention, if you don't recognize who you're talking to, if you don't understand that he can give you everything you need, then you didn't use the key. So now you're going to continue your Shemona Esrei, but... You know, you didn't really do what you're supposed to do. But here in this prayer, we say, even if you didn't have kavana, even if you didn't have intention, you can open it all up again in this prayer by using your call, that sincere voice of the soul. And you can open up this place of matnas chinam. Okay, the word chinam really is related to the word tachanunim. That God listens to our prayers and our tachanunim. 
And the word tachanun or chanun comes from the word mercy, but it also has the word in it chinam, which means free, undeserved. And the Jewish idea is that everything we have, everything God's, God gives us is undeserved. You know, we can't earn it, so to speak, because, you know, we are constantly doing things, so to speak, wrong. But God gives us because of matnas pinam, as an unearned gift. If our relationship was based on tit for tat, we'd be sorely lacking. So everything we have is a matnas pinam. And when we come to, in front of Hashem and we recognize this and beg Hashem, we have to do it in a way that says, not magiali, right? It's coming to me. I'm supposed to have it. You have to do this for me. You're my mother. You're my father. You're supposed to do this. When we come with this kind of attitude, we don't understand the relationship. That everything we have is a free gift. And no matter how much we do and how great we are and how well we align ourselves with God by making his will our will, and yes, it's true that the more we do that, the more God makes, sorry, the more we make our will his will, the more he will make his will our will. Still, there is so much more that we get, just freebies, okay, unearned. Okay, this prayer comes after the prayer about the Davidic dynasty and the restoration of Jerusalem and the Mashiach coming. Because David is our symbol of prayer. David Hamelach, King David himself said about himself, I am prayer. By the way, the Tehillim, the Psalms, were the only prayers that the Jewish people had because the Shemona Esrei and everything else, the formalized prayer that we have came after David Hamelach. And that's why so many of our prayers have David's Psalms in them, in the Siddur. So many of the prayers are composed of the Psalms, right? Different places, different verses, and they're put together in prayers. David Amel said, I am prayer, because his whole being, his whole Tehillim is all about whether in times of joy, whether in times of distress and danger. And he experienced everything any human being could ever experience in life. He was always talking to God. He was always involved in prayer in this relationship with God. Adorbu, Devorah, I am going to ask and I interrupt for one last time, if you don't mind. I desperately want to be following this prayer and I cannot find it. I don't see the, I, I just, I don't see it. Do you have a Shimona Esrei with you? Not that. I don't necessarily have the version that you have, so I, I really don't know what to so tell you. There's All the right. thing. She may, yes. Fern may find out that it says, Av HaRachaman Shmakolenu. It doesn't start with Shmakolenu, it starts Av HaRachaman. It does, but that's only right. for Spartan. Well, Nusach Spard, and we're Nusach Spard. So yeah, but maybe she's not. she's not. She has an Ashkenazi sitter for sure. Do but you work, but if we work backwards from Modin, Right. So I, if, you, if you go I back, may our eyes behold your return to Zion. The one right. before that is be favorable Hashem toward your people Israel. Right. right. And the next one before that. Our God and God of our fathers, may you be pleased with our rest. Now, okay. So that's 
And then the one before that? You did not give okay. it, Hashem, our God, to the nations of the lands. Do you have a small Ashkenaz one? I have it on page 108 in the middle. And if then the they, woman sitter, if it's white, it's on page okay. 82. I have the brown sitter. Yeah. So 108. Try so 108. On 108. Which one is in the it? Middle? In it, it says acceptance of prayer. That one, I two, see. three down. That's oh, it. there it is. Yeah. Okay. Very yeah. grateful for your help. Thank you. Okay. No All right. Great. Okay. So, um, so talking again about, okay, there's three types of prayer that are found in this bracha, according to the Vilna Gaon, right? We have tefillot, we have tachanunim, and we have the word kol, kolenu. So back to that idea again, that kol, when we're asking Hashem to hear our voice, the word shema, by the way, shema kolenu, the letters of shema correspond to shacharis, Mincha and Arvit, the morning, the afternoon, and the evening prayer. Shema Kolenu, listen to these three times that we pray. Listen to our voice. We said in other classes, the same way human beings eat three times a day, at least traditionally, that's what people did. And I don't know if you're into intermittent fasting and all these other crazy things. But three times a day, so too the soul needs the nutrition of prayer three times a day. But the word kol has no words or speech. It's asking Hashem to hear our cries like a mother hears the cries of her baby. It's saying to Hashem, we don't even know what we need sometimes. We don't even know what we're missing. We don't know exactly what it is, but listen, because you are our God, right? There's a story about Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev, who was a famous rabbi who always uh, pleaded the Jewish people's case. And um, and he talks about how he's in shul and he sees this man who was saying his prayers blah 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 right very very quickly and inaudibly inaudibly and in an unintelligible manner and the rabbi rabbi levi approached the man and mumbled some nonsense syllables to him you know to imitate him and the man said i'm sorry rabbi but i can't understand what you're saying and basically, of course, he was, you know, proving his point. Well, you can't understand what I'm saying. How do you expect God to understand what you're saying, the way that you're saying it? You should say your prayer so distinctly that every word can be understood. And the man answered him back. He said, when you hear an infant crying or saying nonsensical syllables, you may not understand what he wants, but his parents are sensitive to his sounds and understand what each sound means. And the man replied, the man said to Rabbi Levi, God is my father. He understands my mumbling. So Rabbi Yitzchak of Berdichev was thrilled because he now had acquired a new plea to defend people's behavior, which is what he was famous for. Okay. <clears throat> we know the story of Jacob and the, uh, the dreaming that he had of the ladder, right? In the place of the temple and the angels were going up and down. 
So the word for kol, voice, is the same numerical value as the word sulam, which means ladder. And the idea is, is that our voice is like a ladder. When we pray to God, our voice is like a ladder to God. When our heart is engaged. And the idea is just like the angels were going up, when you're engaged in prayer, you're elevating yourself through the act of prayer. Another idea is that tears, right? Which is the sound of the voice and not words. When we can no longer express ourselves in words, we go to a place of tears. Sincere tears make prayer effective. And even if you're not feeling sincere or you're not feeling that, that pleading, that begging, you know, sometimes it's good to act it out. I actually did that this morning. You just, as you're davening Shimona Esrei, you, you put this kind of cry in your voice, this plea, this plaintive, soulful cry, and it moves you to a new place. Because as we said, our external affects our internal. And when even you just act out as if you're crying, it's incredible how the words come alive and begin to enliven that part of you, that, that vulnerable part of you, right? Vulnerability, right? That's the big word today. We're all supposed to be vulnerable. So be vulnerable with God, you know? Allow yourself to go out of your comfort zone. Pretend that you're in agony. Pretend that he can answer you. Pretend that you have this relationship where he wants to hear all of your voice. Put it into your voice so that it brings out those feelings inside of you. This prayer should be said with sincere tears, which sound like weeping. Rabbi Shimshon Rafal Hur said, tears are the sweat of the soul. Beautiful idea. So in this prayer, we say, have pity and be compassionate upon us. Chus means have pity on our bodies. Rachim means have pity on our souls. Chus is pity us intellectually. Mercy is pity us emotionally, right? And here we're asking Hashem to give us what we recognize we need and things that we don't know we need, but that he knows what we need. What do we mean when we say God is compassionate? So we have this idea throughout um, Torah and Tanakh, which the idea of God being a master of compassion is he doesn't attack human life first. If someone is doing wrong, God tries to save his life by getting him to do tshuva. He tries to wake us up. So the idea is, and we see it even with the makot, that the, the makot had a certain pattern to them. The first makot was far away. It was in the water, right? The second makot was the frogs coming out of the water and onto the land and jumping around in everybody's environment and driving them crazy. But the third makkah was the lice that was on their bodies, right? 
and there was a certain pattern. And then when you go to the next Makkah, again, it's far away. This, uh, the fourth, the fifth one is coming closer and the sixth is on their bodies, the boils. And this is an idea that when God tries to wake us up to do tshuva, he first starts with something not on us, our material possessions, right? We lose money. We drop a hundred bucks. We don't know where we put something. We have to go and take our car into the garage and spend tons of money or get a root canal or whatever it is. But everything that happens in our lives is supposed to be God saying, I want to, you know, I want you to come closer to me either through prayer or through examination of your deeds. Are you aligned with my will or are you doing your own thing? You think that you're in charge. You think that you're running the world. Or are you in line with my purpose and my desire for you? So he tries to wake us up. First, he'll damage our property. Then we may have minor physical pain. And then, unfortunately, he can give us an illness that threatens our life. And we see this in Megillus Rus, but I'm not going to go through that now. So number three, we say that accept our prayers with compassion and willingness. So here we're asking for general help and salvation for the whole Jewish people and for the world to arrive at the spiritual level they should be on. The spiritual level that we've been talking about in all the previous uh, brachas, right? Get rid of the wicked. Let the tzaddikim flourish. Bring us back to Jerusalem. Bring us back to Israel. Make is Jerusalem the heart of the world and all peoples recognize that everything flows from this place. All prosperity, all goodness in the world, material and spiritual. So here we're saying, accept our prayers on behalf of the whole world. The word, word tefillah, that you should accept our tefillot. Tefel, the root of the word tefillah means joined or bound firmly. Okay. Now I mentioned this in a class, but now, now I have the source. There was a famous king called Hiskiyahu. Hiskiyahu was a king who hid the book of cures. And um, they used to have this book that, that was either written by Adam Harishon, the first man, or Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, the wisest man. And this book of cures, basically any kind of uh, illness that you had, you could simply go to this book of cures and find the refua. Meanwhile, this, this King Pizkiyahu, who himself was very sick, deathly ill, the prophet Yeshaya, Isaiah, comes to him and says that he has a short time to live. And Hiskiyahu adamantly says, doesn't give in to despair and says, stop this talk. I have this tradition from my ancestor, King David. Even if a razor sharp sword is poised at a person's neck, ready to cut. Like this, he should never stop praying to God for mercy. And it says that Hizkiyahu prayed to God for mercy, and indeed God listened and added 15 years to his life. So we learn from here that sincere prayer is even stronger than prophecy. It can annul the most dire decree upon a person if their sincere prayer is aroused. As, as it was for the Jewish people when we, after suffering in Egyptian exile and bondage, 
for 400 years. We were supposed to be there for 400 years, but God took us out after 210 years because of this cry that emanated from the deepest place, which is the place that we're supposed to access in prayer and specifically in this prayer. We have the ability to do that. What did Hizkiyahu do also in his life? He hid the book of cures because he saw that people were relying on this book instead of praying to God. And Harav Gifter asked the question, what do you mean? How could he have possibly hidden this book? We know that in Judaism, it's a mitzvah to save a life. If you save one life, it's like you save the entire world. Wasn't he endangering everybody's life by hiding it? But it says that Hizkiyahu's daring action was endorsed both, both by God and the sages of Israel, teaching in Psachim 56b that a life devoid of sincere, heartfelt prayer is not worth living. And I know this is really tough to take and it's not candy coated and it's not worth saving. Life is meaningful and sacred when it's a vehicle to cling to the source of life. But when man places his trust in books of wondrous cures, his life has lost its direction and purpose. It's interesting because um, how I won this, um, I won this um, meeting with a nutritionist in town from the Yachad Shabbaton. And she told me about this book. Um, and I watched a little bit of it on YouTube by this Dr. Sinclair, of course, Jewish Roots, a book called Why We Age and We Don't Have To. Well, it's very exciting because he's trying to figure out how to keep people living till 120. And it's funny that he uses that, that age, 120 and beyond. But, you know, the more you listen to him and the more you think about it, it's like we all know that we can do all kinds of things. But if God decides when we're going to die and what's going to happen to us, that's something we can't change. And we, we know from my Bitachon classes, of course, we're supposed to make hishtadlut. The Rambam says, if you don't take care of your body and you eat garbage, don't blame God for the fact that you died young or that you had issues with illness all your life. We're supposed to take care of it. On the other hand, we have to balance that with recognizing that the only place that we are meant to put our belief and trust is not in the nutrition we eat, not in the exercise that we do, but in God himself. And that's a life worth living. That is the life worth living. You know, I mentioned to a friend of mine about this diet that you have to do to be able to live till 120 and she said, yeah, I read, I read that, you know, yeah, you have to starve yourself for two days all the time. She said, you know what, I'd rather live five years less and, and not have to starve myself. But the point is this, and I, and I didn't share this with you, we're getting to the end of the class. A few weeks ago, I have a first cousin who literally dropped dead. He was in his 50s. He went out for a jog. Um, Sunday night, I think it was, and he didn't come home. His wife called the police and they found him dead at the side of the road. He was an avid jogger. He watched, as his sister tells me, every morsel of food that went in and out of his mouth. 
And he lived in total paranoia and paralysis about the same thing happening to him that happened to his father, literally dying of a heart attack in his 50s. His father, who was a doctor, left for work one day, said goodbye to his five kids and his wife, and didn't come home and died in, from a heart attack in the halls of the Toronto Western Hospital downtown. There's a plaque there, my uncle Norman Custer. And my cousin tells me that, and a few people said, that of all the kids, this son never got over his father's death, was angry at God all of his life, and did everything he could to prevent this from happening to him. Now, I am not judging him, and he, he was a wonderful, wonderful person, an incredible father, incredible husband, an incredible human being, a lawyer, and a mensch. But of course, the family's shaking their head and saying, how could it happen? He took such good care of himself. He lived with this over his head every day of his life. He didn't eat a thing. He didn't have an inch of fat on him. And he died jogging. How could it be? And I didn't know whether I was going to bring this up to you, and I haven't. But it's, you know, been very difficult in the family. But when I was reading this idea from Chizkiyahu, that he hid the book of cures because he said people are no longer depending on God. God sends illness. God sends different things in life to wake us up, to cry out to him, to use it to dig deeper, to create relationship. And that is what life is about, creating relationship with God. Right? And so, you know, when they say this over and over and over again, of course, I am not going to tell them this vort. You know, but the Chafetz Chaim once said, there are two kinds of people in this world. Those who are healthy and those who live a long life. And they're not mutually exclusive, right? You can do everything you can for your health. But if God says you're not living till 120, even if you starve yourself, because there's a certain time period that people live generally. Yes, we can extend it through prayer, through doctors, but the doctors are useless if that's where we're putting our trust. If we trust in the doctors, if we trust in the medicine, then we're missing the whole point is what Hiskiyahu and Hashem himself and the rabbis, which is why they allowed him to throw away this book of cures you know, which goes against the Jewish idea of saving lives. Anyway, his neshama should have an aliyah, ben Sion ben Chayim, and his family should know no more sorrow. Amen. Thank you. Okay, so the idea of this prayer too is that when we pray to God, we're not persuading him to change his mind. Right? We, don't, we can't change God's mind. That's not what we're doing when we pray. You can watch Rabbi David Aaron. He writes all, he talks about that in a talk at uh, uh, Sinai and Daba. You know, oh, he was going to do something, but now you spoke to him and he's changing his mind. That's not the idea of prayer. He says, rather, it's when we depend upon him as the source of all blessing, that we make blessing possible. We open up that storehouse 
and we make blessing possible. We say in this prayer, don't let me leave empty-handed, right? Don't let me leave empty-handed. In other words, just standing before you in prayer is enriching, whether I get what I want or I don't. Okay, but when we pray, we're supposed to pray like a beggar who's knocking on the door. Should ask, we should ask from him like that. But again, the whole purpose of the prayer is to form a connection with him. It says, You listen to the prayers of your people. So the idea is Hashem listens to all prayers, the prayers of all mankind. But the prayers of the Jewish people get special attention. So I just want to tell you that in this prayer, this is where you add your own prayers. Sorry, hold on. So we say, Sorry. Wait, where is it? It's after Tishivenu that we can talk, that we can say our own prayers, or is it after? I'm just forgetting. It's right where we say, Before Kiatashomea. Right. So for those of you who don't know, after the word Tishivenu, which means don't send us away empty handed. After the word Tefilasenu, just a little farther. Just continue. That's where you add your own Tefilas. After Ritse. No, 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 no. Sorry. No, you you are at Rekam Al Tushivenu, Devorah, so continue. Then it says Khanenu Vianenu Ushmatafilasenu. And where it says, and hear our prayer, Ushmatafilasenu. And that's where you can add your own prayers. Just before Kiatashamaya to Oh, I'm sorry, my prayer is different than yours then. So Rekam Al Tushivenu. No, one second. Hold on. Sorry. Let me just think for a minute. Page 82 at the bottom. Okay, um, sorry, hold on one sec. Come on, you guys. Isn't it after the temple service? No, no, no. Okay, I think it's after the word Tishivenu, like Chavi said. We say, Okay, and then you start, you can start talking to Hashem in your own words there, okay? That's where you insert your own prayers. Okay, and you, and you'll see in your sitter, they have a prayer there on Parnassa, asking for Parnassa. They have a prayer there on the bottom asking, maybe it's tshuva. But this is a place where it's a catch-all for everything, okay? Hear our voice encompasses everything. You can ask for forgiveness for something that you've done. The point is, is that we shouldn't feel, um, we should feel comfortable talking to Hashem about anything and everything here in this prayer. Ki ata shomea tefillah, Right? It continues after we say our own prayers, then we say, Ki ata amcha Yisrael, because you're the one who hears our prayers. Okay. So even if we can't relate to anything else, we're davening in the Amida. Right? 
This is where we say everything. Again, it doesn't say he answers our prayers. It says he hears our prayers. Whether or not he answers our prayers is not the main thing. Even the fact that he hears them is beneficial for us because it creates connection. And you'll see there's a place there that the prayer anenu is added on a fast day. Because fast days are days that are designated for tshuva, as is Rosh Chodesh, by the way. Rosh Chodesh is a day for women when we're supposed to do something special for ourselves. You can buy yourself something new. You can dress up a little bit fancier. You can make a nicer meal on Rosh Chodesh. You're supposed to celebrate your womanhood. And the fact that the women are the ones who redeem the Jewish people from Egypt and in the future will redeem the Jewish people again. The fact that the Jewish people, the women are compared to the moon, right? The first commandment that the Jewish people were given was to sanctify the moon. And the moon was the moon of Rosh Chodesh Nisan. It was the first mitzvah we were given before we left Egypt. That we can make time holy. That God put us in charge of the calendar. But women are compared to the moon, right? We wax and we wane. We go through all kinds of phases and stages in terms of our bodies, our physical bodies. Shakespeare said, woman, that thou art changing as the moon. And the Jewish people, of course, are compared to the moon because even when it looks like we're going to disappear, we're still here. But interestingly, the word som, fasting, is from the word simtsum, which means to um, restrict, right? To pull yourself in. God, God was mitsamsem himself in order to create the world. Right, he he. Um, oh, I can't think of the word. Whatever he restrained himself, he pulled himself in to make a space for the universe. Right. So when we're at fasting, it's like we're being mitzamtim our body, so that our soul, our spirit, can be in the forefront. That our spirit, our soul, can be leading us on that day of tzom. Okay, just a couple more ideas and then we're going to end, okay? So we have to realize that everything we have comes from Hashem. We don't accomplish on our own. We're not free agents. God is in every part of our life and we cannot compartmentalize our lives. I'm a Jew at home and a Gentile on the street. As the Germans said, at home you can be a Jew. On the street, be a German. At home, you can be a Jew. On the street, be a Canadian. We don't compartmentalize our life. Ours is a way of life. It, it is part of absolutely everything we do, right? We are conscious of God when we leave the bathroom to the nitty-gritty of doing business in the business world and how to conduct ourselves. We are supposed to be like David HaMelech, who likens himself to a baby on his mother's breast. It doesn't matter where the mother goes. The baby's always in the same reality. The baby's always in the same place. Understanding that it is nurtured from, actually, my husband just told me something interesting. The word of God, Shakai, Shin Dalad Yud, which is on our mezuzahs is the same root as the word shadayim, which are breasts, mm -hmm. right? That 
our protection and our security that God affords us, that we have on our mezuzahs, which represent that, that shin, right? Is the same image that David HaMelech uses, that we should walk, that he, he led his life as if he was attached to God, like a child on his mother's breast. Doesn't matter where my mother goes. Doesn't matter if she's sitting in a bomb shelter or if she's walking through the most beautiful garden. I'm always as a child with my mother in the same place, feeling nurtured and secure. And of course, sucking from the source of my existence. And that's how we all need to see ourselves. We should relate to Hashem in this way. Okay. Um, and we have to always ask ourselves, while Hashem is sustaining us and, and nurturing us and giving us all of what he gives us as a matnas chinam, as a free gift, we have to always be asking and reflecting when we're standing in prayer and asking for all of these blessings, beginning with the first one of asking for wisdom, right? What will I do with this gift that Hashem gives me? How will I use it to further his plans for creation, for the purpose of the world, for my own life's mission in this world? And yes, it doesn't mean it's easy. It takes some hard choices. It takes sacrifices, or they seem to feel like sacrifices. But I'll just end with this one idea that I've said, and I used to say all the time when I first became uh, Josera Pachuva, when I became a Balchuva, of course, people were shocked and astonished. And they said things like, I don't understand. It's such a restrictive life. You know, you give it, you're giving up so much. How could you give up, you know, this? How could you give up that? And my simple answer to people was, listen, I'm not an idiot. I'm not stupid. I mean, of course, I wouldn't give up any of these things if I didn't think that I was getting so much more, why would I give up these things if I didn't think that it was a good trade? That what I'm getting is so much more than not being able to go mix swimming, than not being able to wear whatever I wanna wear, right? Than not being able to eat whatever I wanna eat, than being hefker, than being free and doing whatever I please whenever I please. Why would I give that up if I didn't think that what I'm getting is so much more? Yes, things that are meaningful take sacrifice. But as I've said in other classes, you have to choose your pain, right? You can choose the pain of starving yourself so you'll live till 120. You can choose the pain of being in the gym 24-7 and believing that that's your ticket to life. Or you can choose the pain of aligning yourself with God, which, yes, does take some sacrifice. But the benefits are so much greater than the sacrifices that ultimately, when a person is able to cross over that bridge of illusion, which is Mitzrayim, right? And, you know, walk through that brick wall, which says you're going to break your head if you try to do this, you know, that place of that says, no, you can't. On the other side is, you know, like I say, like the Wizard of Oz, it starts out in black and white, right? But then you get to the Emerald City and it all turns into color. 
that's kind of like, you know, you might give up Kansas, you know, but your adventure in the Emerald City makes you large, bigger and wiser. And when you come back to Kansas, it's that much more. So my, anyway, my blessing is that God willing, all of our prayers should be answered. That in the merit of righteous women like yourselves who are here and growing and developing, we should see the geula at the end of all these vaccines. Hashem should just be taking us closer and closer and closer to the redemption of the entire world, to each of our own personal redemptions. And let us say, Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Devorah. That was beautiful.